Corinthians chapter number three, if you will. First Corinthians chapter number three. And uh, we're going to be here now in verse number 12. And uh, we're going to begin to look into the uh, judgment seat of Christ and the events here. And uh, I, we'll just start reading in verse number 10 to get the context. Um, actually, verse 9, just to kind of get the flow in our, in our thinking, okay? Uh, For we are labors together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath buildeth thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And sadly, as we read those verses and we get them into our thinking, uh, most stumble over this glorious day. And theology has really brutalized the, the judgment seat of Christ. And when the theologians do it, then guess who else does it? Everybody else does it. And I'm hoping that by the time we get down through verse 15, you won't see it as a bad day, but rather as a glorious day. And it's something that we are not to fear. We're not to tremble at. Uh, again, the, the word judgment used in Corinthians in the context is discernment. Uh, it's the way you think about stuff. So it's not, it's not a bad thing, just the use of the word judgment. Now, there are other judgments that are brutal, okay, that God's going to execute. The great white throne judgment, the second coming, and stuff like that. But this one isn't. And again, what Paul's doing here is he's warning uh, with some corrective doctrines the conduct of the Corinthians. And the Corinthian saints, uh, as they begin to value and, and adopt human viewpoint, and as they begin to think about uh, the, the, the wisdom of words and the wisdom of, of uh, the world and, and man's wisdom, as they begin to adopt that over divine wisdom, God's wisdom, they are in jeopardy of losing. Obviously, verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. So the warning here is that the Corinthians... And then really subsequently others, because if you think about the church today, it's a Corinthian-type church as a whole, are building into their realm of their inner man on this foundation inferior information, inferior material. They are, it is Bible doctrine, it's just not sound doctrine, okay? And those two things are very different and again, the warning here, the end of verse 10, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. How? Not if you're going to build or not going to build, because you are building. And we talked some about that last time, about 
the very fact that I've heard people say over the years, you've heard people say over the years, that's great, I'm, I'm satisfied with my justification, I just don't want to study that Bible. I just have no interest in it. Well, that's a building, they're building onto their foundation then, stuff that's not, that's inferior. So how? You see, folks, we're responsible to build on our own foundation. And again, when he says there in verse 10, and another buildeth thereon, we're responsible on who we let build on our foundation. And we're responsible to build according to the design given to the wise master builder, that is the Apostle Paul. That specific set of, of, uh, of blueprints, of information given to Paul, who then gives it to the church, the body of Christ. And again, the Corinthians are in jeopardy because they're not following the master plan. They're not following the proper code. They're not following the right foundation. That foundation, verse 11, is the Lord, which is Jesus Christ. But again, how? Romans 16, it's a, we preach Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret, but now it's made manifest. See. Then in verse 12, and what we're going to look at today, the, this building material. So verse 12, now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. And we're going to look at that this morning. When you think about verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, the work because it, the work of building, shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it, the work, is. And I doing that so that, you're, so that you understand it is very clear from just reading the verses that the fire, that the work is what is being evaluated by the fire. Now, Next week, we'll look, at the, we'll look at verse 13 in the fire. The fire is the word of God, but it's the word of God rightly divided. It, it just isn't the word, okay? It's the word rightly divided. We'll look at all that next time. And the reason I'm going to stress this as we get going is, is because you as an individual are not on trial here. To, you're not being evaluated to see if you are worthy of eternal life. Calvary took care of that. See, Now what religion does and theology does is they say, no, he's getting your sins one last time. Then what was Calvary for? If you're at the judgment seat of Christ, then where are you? You are dead to your sins. You have the code death, burial, and resurrection identity of the Lord. You're there because you're in Christ. See, this isn't justification. This is about sanctification. It's about your walk. It's about what you're building. If you are, again, you're not being evaluated to see if you're worthy to go to heaven for eternity. That's settled at, at the cross, at justification. You, what's being evaluated here is your work, your walk of building on the foundation. Well, I didn't know. It doesn't matter whether you know or not. That's what's being evaluated. See, this is a glorious day. This is not a, oh my goodness, I'm losing everything. You're not going to think that 
First of all, you're stand, you meet the Lord in the air. That's where this takes place, the meeting in the air. And, when you, and we'll get into that in verse 13 about that day, the day. All right? But when you meet the Lord in the air, you're not going to sit there and go, bummer, dude, I should have did this, this, and that. You're, you're going to be so excited to be there. You're not going to worry about any of it, and you're glad he's doing it, see. And, and what happens is, is, is religion tells us he's going to get that last little sin that didn't, then Calvary wasn't enough, see. And Calvary is enough, and that's the issue here. I used that illustration last time of the building inspector. When the building inspector comes out, he is not evaluating the workers or the company that did the work. What's he evaluating? The work. Was the work up to code? See, he doesn't sit there and interview the company. No, that, by the way, the interviewing of the company doing the work belongs to who? The master builder, the general contractor. See, when the general contractor interviewed you, what did he say? You're a sinner. Do you know that? <laughs> yes. You know that Christ died for your sins? Yes. All right, good. You're qualified to work in the job. Now let's get on the work. See, the inspector, the fire is going to evaluate the work you've done, whether good or bad. You're going to, verse 14, if it abides, you get a reward. We'll look at that. Not, it's, it's a singular thing. It's not rewards. And I know what happens. People read the crowns of rejoice, you know, crowns of, yeah, crowns, plural. And, and by the way, people pull that, those verses out of their context all the time. And to say you're going to be, you know, the big moose with the big rack and, or the big elk rack and get all these Burger King crowns all over the place. No, you're not. Sorry. You're going to get something far better, far more eternal. But look at verse 15. Just as we get, kind of get going this morning. If any man's work shall be burned. So can the work of that you're building on your foundation be burned? Yes, it can. If you build wood, hay, and stubble, then, and, then God evaluates it by fire, the work will be burned up. It's going to happen. So I know what happens. Oh, man, I suffer loss. But you didn't keep reading the verse. What's the verse say? But he himself shall be what? Saved, yet so is by fire. Saved how? Saved in what manner? See. Saved in, in what way will the fire save you? Not justification unto eternal life. You're already there. Save you in what way? Well, what did you suffer loss of? The wood, hay, and stubble. So the salvation here, we're already saved. We're already justified unto eternal life. By faith, we're sealed, we're forgiven. We've been given the gift of eternal life. We're made a part of the church, the body of Christ, baptized into one body by the Spirit. So then, God, see folks, God understands the potential of whatever you are building into the realm of your inner man to be inferior. And because of that, you have, there is that potential of suffering loss but not defeated. You didn't sit there and go, oh, man, I lost those 40 years of my life. Oh. No, you're what? You're saved. You're rescued. 
See, you've been rescued from having that inferior material mess with you for all of eternity. It's gone. And again, the temple, that's verse 16, that's what we are, was never built with inferior material. Remember when the tabernacle was given to Moses and he's got to go get beaver skin? He's got to get this and he's got to get that and all that, all those materials. Have you ever wondered why he had to go get, you know, beaver? He had to get this. He had to get that because they don't wear out. They last. Their, their quality. I was watching a show on uh, History Channel or something a few years ago, documentary, and it was on the fur trade. And there are certain furs that they want because of the quality. And actually, those furs are what the tabernacle was built, made out of. I always thought about that. Where did in the world did Moses get beaver skin from? He's in the desert. But they were there somewhere. The point is, is the salvation here is not justification. It's a reference to another salvation that honestly, praise the Lord, happens. That the judgment seat of Christ is going to accomplish. And that's the removal of the inferior material from our inner man, from our building. He's going to burn it up. And there is a fire that will cause the building to be inspected, evaluated. And when the fire determines inferior material, it will be burned off. And when, he had, when, he had, when the fire determines it to be superior material, it'll stay. That's a wonderful thing, folks. That's something not to be feared. That's something you and I want to happen. Because the last thing I want to do is go through eternity with some of my works hanging around. Because my works stink to show up. And I don't want that. And if I'm going to Ephesians chapter 2, show the exceeding riches of his glory, then my works ain't going to be the issue anyway, see. So he takes away that. So as we get started, go to verse 12. As we begin to look at the gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, there's some things in that that we need to remember, that inferior stuff. And again, I look around the room, and we all kind of come from different religious backgrounds. And we're already going, okay, well, that was a waste of time. Not necessarily. You can't judge that. That's why it's the Lord that judges that. It's going to be the Word of God rightly divided, judging that, see. And what's wonderful about verse 12, okay, is that we know in verse 13, 12, 13, 14, 15, is we know we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, Romans 14 or Romans 16. We give an account of ourselves at the judgment seat of Christ. We know we're going there, and we are also educated to what we can do in time now, yeah, in time now, to have a, an eventful life now, a productive life now that will benefit the future. You follow? We are being told right now what the fire is going to use as his evaluation. So then guess what I can do? In my life, I can sit there and go, you know what? That was wood, hay, and stubble. I ain't ever doing that again. This is gold, silver. I'm doing that. 
and I can begin to make adjustments in my life as I grow, as I'm edified, as I grow, and what can I do? I can go, hey, come over with me to, uh, uh, I just had the verse, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 4. Because that's what's so really wonderful about what's happening in 1 Corinthians 3 when you pull back and you look at us. Okay, now it's not wonderful for the Corinthians because he's hammering on them. And he's, he's, I'm doing it in a tone that Paul's not. (laughs) Okay, but for you and I, as we study and as we look at this, we step back and say, you know what, I can now in time make make some adjustments here. And maybe get a little, maybe get something better in my life, in my inner man, than what I was doing before. 1 Timothy 4, verse 8 For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is. So godliness profits me now in time. Godliness, God likeness, living the way God would have me live according to who I am in Christ, according to the word rightly divided, according to the master builder, according to the blueprints, living properly, and how he would have me live my life where I'm at, and of that which is to come. It impacts me now and where? Out in eternity. What determines the eternity part is the judgment seat of Christ. Now come over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2, and then run back, well, second, run back to 1 Corinthians 3, just real quick. We can catch a couple things here. So as we look at these, you can say a lot of different, you know, gold, the Deity, boom, the king stuff, Solomon and all his gold. You can do that. Silver, that's the redemption money, 30 pieces of silver. See, you can do all of that. You can do wood, hay, you can do. I'm not going to do that with you, okay? Because we're going to leave it here where we're at. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, look at verse 8. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own, what? Labor. Verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Again, not for God, but with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. Verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Do Do you see the building, the laboring? Now, come to 2 Timothy 2.15, because there's a word in 2 Timothy 2.15 that hooks into this, that helps us with the understanding of the gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble stuff, okay? 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a what? Workman. Isn't that interesting? A laborer. We need to be skilled workmen to build on our inner man. And what's workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? So in the workman, in what sense? In what sense are we to be a workman? In the sense of developing the skill 
so that we can build on our inner man. But how are we going to do that? How are we going to build? Rightly dividing the word of truth. So these elements, these materials that we're going to be looking at and the building of it, guess what they're going to be? They're going to be the word of God, but it's going to be how? Rightly dividing the word of truth. It's going to be sound doctrine. The kind of workman that we're called to be, that labor of building the proper spiritual edification, we need to develop the spiritual skills that allow us to be master craftsmen, if you will, in building that spiritual edifice in our inner man. How do I attain the skill? We're now at trade school. And what do we learn in trade school? Rightly divide the word of truth. How do we, what do we do? So when we begin to see the gold, silver, precious stone, the superior material, and then we're going to look at real quickly the wood, hay, and stubble, that's the inferior material. How are we going to look at it? The word of God rightly divided. Now, come back with me to Proverbs. I know I did this with you last week, but we're going to start here. Proverbs 16. Looking at the gold, silver, and precious stones. Proverbs 16. Now, there are a ton of verses about gold and silver and precious stones and Proverbs. There's a wonderful account in Job. Actually, uh, it's, um, I'll give you the chapter. Hang on here. I was reading uh, this uh, the other day in my leisure time. <laughs> I don't have leisure time. Okay, it's Job 28, and, the, and, and you go read the first, well, just read the whole chapter, and it's about how ma- man goes and mines for gold and silver, and the energy that man puts in to go out there in the mining industry. And then Job asks a question, or the guy, Job, the book asks, do you seek wisdom that way? Do you seek understanding that way? Do you, think about the mining industry. You guys have seen Gold Rush on T, I know, Gold Rush, Alaska, Gold Rush, Bering Sea, you know, and, all, and they're down there and, they're, and they're, 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 they're risking life and limb, you know. Do you do that for wisdom and understanding and knowledge? A great question. I was like, wow, we could we'll maybe spend some time in there one day. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? So what is gold equaling out here? Wisdom. What is silver equaling out to being represented? Understanding. Come over to chapter 20. Chapter 20 and verse 15. Chapter 20 and verse 15. There is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Precious stones and knowledge. So we got the three, don't we? Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. By the way, those three play all through the book of Proverbs. That's how you know Proverbs isn't a devotional book. Sorry. 
Proverbs is a book of doctrine for the little flock in the 70th week of Daniel as they're going through that tribulation period of time so that they would have the proper wisdom, understanding, and knowledge to understand what they're doing, what's going on, and how to get through it. Well, a wise man will do this. But yeah, but have you ever, you know, you, you know we, wise men keeps his mouth shut and a fool runs, runneth off at the mouth. You know, have you ever really thought about what, when that happens for them? You know? See, it's nothing about you. Now, I know we read a proverb a day, 30 days, well, we're good. You know, and that's fine. That's reading the book. But, it, but the context. Now, come with me to Ephesians 1, because what's the workman going to do? We're going to build according to the word of God, rightly divided. So we have Ephesians chapter 1. Now, again, you can go to Proverbs 3, you can go to 8, you can go all through Proverbs and find gold, silver, precious... Those things are all associated with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. But look at the Apostle Paul in the advanced doctrinal area. And he says, okay, guys, you got your foundation laid. You got Romans laid. You're good. You're you're established. You know what I'm praying for you? Verse 16, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. You know what Paul prays for the, for the mature believer? By the way, you know what he prays for the immature? Get back in Romans, get it learned out, let's figure it, okay? But what does he pray for the mature, the established believer? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom in the revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Why? That... Ye may know. Isn't that, man, not knowing stuff is wonderful. You may know what is the hope of his calling, not your calling, his call. What is God the Father doing in God the Son today? His calling. Well, go read verse 10. You just came through it if you're in 17 and 18. You've just studied down through it. And he says, look, you need to know, you need to build into the realm of your inner man wisdom and understanding and knowledge of what God the Father's doing today through and with the body of Christ and the exaltation of his Son ultimately over the universe as king and as head. That's what you need to know. You know that's a lot of detail there, see. There's a lot of information there. You need to have these three, gold, silver, precious stone, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, built into the realm of your inner man. By the way, you come over to chapter 3, the prayer there. And he actually, come on over to Colossians 1. Just Chapter 3 of Ephesians, he expands on that having your eyes enlightened. He expands on it. Colossians 1, verse 9 and 10 by the way, there's two prayers in Philippians that help. And then here in Colossians 1, he takes those four prayers and summarizes them in it and gives a final statement here, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you see why building proper wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, gold, silver, precious stone on your inner man is so critical? Do you want to have a worthy walk? 
I know no believer that doesn't. So how are we going to do it? Oh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No. You know what that is? That's wood, hay, and stubble. Why? It's Bible, Rick. It's Scripture, but it's not dispensational. It's not the word rightly divided. See? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to come over here. I'm going to get the foundation laid, Romans. I'm going to get the master bill. I'm going to get the bright blueprint out, and I'm going to get moving here. See? So when you build... I, I, verse 10 to me is the clinch, that ye might walk worthy. What is the judgment seat of Christ all about? How did you walk? How did you build? Were you fruitful in every good work? Oh, what's the good works? It starts with you and your volition. It moves if you're married to your marriage, if you got a family into your family life, and if you got a job, and by the way, most all of us have jobs, or have had jaw, it moves into that. It's not over in an ivory tower. It's behind lock and key that only the preachers get. See? It's right down. And you think about that. Come over to Romans 11. So when we think about all of this, through Paul, Romans 11, God has revealed the progressive revelation of the items, of the information, of the ultimate capstone of his knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. You and I, well, look at Romans 11.33. The doxology here at the end of this section. Watch Paul. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. That isn't saying you can't know this. It's, wow, look at how rich you and I are. And the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Come over to Ephesians 3. You've got to think about the language that Paul uses with this. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 8. And how he describes how rich you and I are. Why? Because God has, through him, given us the capstone of the progressive revelation of all the supreme knowledge and wisdom and understanding. He's made it known. He's made it available. Well, I didn't know. That's not God's problem. That's your problem. See? It's been made known. It's been in the book since he wrote it. You and I have it in English, thank the Lord, in the King James Bible, but we have it. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable, notice, riches of Christ. Look how he describes this. Chapter 1 there, back in chapter 1, verse 8, 9, and 10, notice the. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 8, wherein he hath abounded toward us in some wisdom. All of it, all wisdom and prudence. How, how did he do it? Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, and so forth. All the wisdom. His will. God has deposited all of his wisdom. He's given it to Paul. There's nothing missing. 
When you and I stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ and the fire, the word of God opens up, he ain't going to say, hang on a minute, I got a volume two. <laughs> he ain't going to do that at all. All wisdom and prudence. We are privileged to possess today what is literally the highest level of the wisdom of God. We have it. It can't get any bigger than what we have revealed to the Apostle Paul and through the Apostle Paul to you and I today. Come over with me to Colossians chapter 2. So when we talk about gold, silver, and precious stones, we're talking about wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, but not just any. It has to be what? Rightly divided. It's the, literally what we're talking about in gold, precious stones, silver is the word of God. Rightly divided, though. Colossians 2.2, 2, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, now watch, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Think about that. All the treasure. What do you do with treasure? You go mine it out of the ground, don't you? You go dig it up. You get the lost Dutchman's map. By the way, there's like a hundred of them, so you, we're working them all, you know. I was out there one time on a field trip to the Don's Camp, and Don's Camp was a big organization back in the day to take city kids and take them out and show them what it was to be a cowboy and a miner and all this stuff. And I was talking to the oldest Don member at the time. He was sitting there, and he was, he, he, he was old. And he's like, they'll never find that treasure. And he, I'm like, really, why? And then for an hour, he went on, I mean, nonstop, single conscious thought about why they'll never find it. And I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> I guess I'll quit and never look for it, you know. <laughs> yeah, solve that problem, exactly. But the thing is, what do you do with treasure? You go dig it up. What are, we, what are we supposed to be doing with the wisdom and the gold and the silver? We're to dig it up. We're to go find it. When Paul, the wise master builder, the one entrusted with that final stage of revelation, the highest level of the revelation of God's wisdom. And you know what he says? You better be careful how you build. The treasure is literally the treasure of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. See, gold and silver and precious stones, come back to chapter 3 there, verse 12, is the issue of God's word rightly divided. Where am I going to find the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding for me as a Gentile? I'm going to find it from the guy that says I am the apostle to the Gentile. I'm not going to find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or Acts. Sorry. Just ain't going to happen. So I put that over there, and I come over here, and I get going. And I begin to have that worthy walk. Now, we have wood, hay, and stubble. So if gold, silver, precious stones is God's word rightly divided, then wood, hay, and stubble is going to represent... The complete opposite of that. 
Gold, silver, precious stones is God's word rightly divided to his wisdom, understand. So then what would wood, hay, and stubble be? The opposite of God's word rightly divided. And you know that from the context. Because in the context of 1 Corinthians, what in the world has Paul been nailing the Corinthians about? What's the issue here in chapters 1, 2, and 3 so far, and, and then ultimately in 4, when we get over there in a few years? <laughs> What's the issue? They're valuing and adopting human viewpoint over God's wisdom, God's viewpoint. They're, they're taking on the words of man's wisdom, which is formed by the course of this world over those Words and wisdom of God given to the Apostle Paul, right? Come back to chapter 1, just to remind you. So when we begin to think about wood, hay, and stubble, by the way, stubble, you go back in Exodus and Pharaoh, Moses and Pharaoh, Moses goes in, let my people go, and Pharaoh goes, you know what? I'm going to nail your people, and you know what? They're going to make brick out of over here, and we're going to take away all the ingredients, and we're going to leave them with stubble. That's an inferior substitute for the real deal. So you can do that all day long, and you can, and it's great, and there's nothing wrong with it. But in the context, there's something more specific, more deeper that Paul is nailing them on. First, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? We know the core problem at Corinth, really the core problem of the church at large. What are they doing? They're after Human wisdom, the wisdom of this world. That's what they're going after. By the way, in contrast to the wisdom that Paul's trying to give them, you chapter 2, verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God, uh, verse 6, sorry, howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, mature, grown up, yet not in the wisdom of this world, nor in the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory." So there's the wisdom Paul's talking about, and the Corinthians are, are ignoring that, and they're going after the human wisdom. So the problem at Corinth helps us identify the wood, hay, and stubble. Chapter 2, verse 9. You knew where I was going, didn't you? Okay? It helps us identify the things that we should not be building on the realm of our inner man. What does chapter 2, verse 9 say? Here's the issue. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. If you want to know the things that God prepared for them that love them, then where do you need to be? In the gold, silver, and precious stones realm. Man doesn't work over there. Where does man say? The eye gate. I got to see it, touch it, taste it, feel it. The scientific method. Truth is found in what my senses tell me to be true. They're trying to gain spiritual enlightenment by scientifical method, methodology. Now, there's nothing wrong with science. God's a scientist, but man just corrupts it. Or the ear gate, 
There's the secondhand information, the stuff that's passed down from generation to generation. I believe this because this is the church that my grand, great-grandparents helped build and my grandparents went to and my parents went to and, you know, and, and mom and dad went to. I go there because of that, and whatever the preacher says is what the preacher, which is what we do. We just pass it down. Well, you know, somewhere along the line, somebody could have been wrong. I remember... Hearing stories about, you know, the new preacher comes to town and he's changing things and everybody kicks him out because they don't like the change. Why? Because the original preacher did it this way and we don't, well, he's not the original. He's the next guy and what's he going to do? He's going to do it his way. You know, you understand that, you know, all the sports analogies come. New coach, new system. Well, we don't do it that way. So the second hand, by the way, the eye gate is, is, is less, it's, it's, non, it's non-reliable because your eyes can play trick on you. What you see, think is this way, it can be completely different. By the way, you understand that. Read an email. I get an email at least once or twice a week where I read it and they're mad at me. But when I talk to them, they're not mad at me. It's my perception is what? Well, I told the one guy, I said, well, don't put it in all caps then. Because <laughs> in all caps means what? He's mad. He's yelling. <laughs> I said, don't do that. He goes, oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> so we're good. Okay. Actually, I just buried him Friday. <laughs> Joe Glenn did that. Yeah. I'm like, Joe, don't, no caps. And he's like, well, I was just trying to, you know, I'm like, okay. Anyway, the heart gate. Are the, the, the ear gate is even less reliable than the eye gate because now somebody's got to determine that so-and-so is right. So now we don't go on the final authority of God's word, rightly divided. Now we're on the final authority of a fable or of a genealogy. And then the heart gate. And you know this. Come over with me to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, the hard gate. This is the least reliable source of it all. This is the issue of I believe it because of how it makes me feel. It makes me feel good, so therefore it must be true. Well, Jeremiah uh, 17, 9. (laughs) The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What's your heart going to (laughs) do? What is it? It's deceitful, see. It's desperately wicked. You can't know your own heart. Yeah, but Rick, I would never do it. Oh, yeah, you would. You put enough stress and enough situation in your life, you're going to do it. Well, I could never do that. Yeah, you could. So when you think about, now now come back to, uh, let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Let's just get in this a little bit here. So these three, the world's way to seek truth. If I can't see it, then then religion comes along and says, okay, well, whatever you believe it to be, that's what it is. That's the heart gate. You decide what truth is for you. Well, the truth is, you know, Unreli- we don't, we, no, you don't come to understand anything that way. 
So the heart gate is the least reliable, and it's also the most dangerous place to be in. Now, you come to the book of Colossians. So we got the three, wood, hay, and stubble. In Colossians 2, and I'm just going to say this, you can study it on your own, Paul addresses these three, the ear gate, the eye gate, and the heart gate. And he does it with the Colossians, but it's an interesting comparison between Corinthians and Colossae. So what was going right at Colossae was going wrong at Corinth, okay, and then vice versa. So what the Corinthians were doing right was a hammer, was an issue at Colossae. It's a very interesting study, and you can do it. We just don't have the time, I tell you that. But look at verse 8, Colossians 2, verse 8. Now, if you start verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did you receive Christ? By faith. So how am I going to walk in him? By faith. By faith, I'm building the gold, silver, precious stones, but I'm also building wood, hay, and stubble. Less of one, more of the other. Okay? Verse 7, rooted and built up in him. By the way, see that built up building? And and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you. The spoiling here is, is that issue of taking away from you. Taking your stuff. Well, what would your stuff be? Verse 6 and 7. The stuff you got in Christ. The things that you've been taught, the things you're rooted and built up in, and you're abounding therein with the, He's going to take away the riches. They're looking to steal your gold, silver, and precious stone from you. He says, beware, lest any man spoil you. This is not leaving out the turkey overnight and it gone bad. It's got the slime on it. Okay. This is the military, the attack, the taking. Now watch, through philosophy and vain deceit, they're one. Philosophy, there's no comma, and vain deceit. Vain deceit is the result of philosophy. Philosophy's goal is to deceive. How does philosophy do it? Through words of man's wisdom. See, philosophy, by the way, philosophy is the heart. So in Corinthians, it was eye, ear, and heart. In Colossae, in 2.8, it's going to be heart, ear, and eye. It's going to be reversed. You follow me? Okay. The heart, the philosophy. Philosophy, human wisdom, valuing human wisdom, using the wisdom of words formed by the course of this world to prove that there's no God or that you are your own God. And if it doesn't hurt, it's not hurt, it's not right for you. And easy street and you know what, just Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You know, and all that stoic and Epicurean idea, all that stuff. The heart. Then, and vain deceit. By the way, the heart is what? Deceitful. See? The heart. It's not a, vain deceit is not a separate issue here. Philosophy is designed to attack your thinking process. And the result of the philosophy is the issue of being deceived and thinking that truth is what you think truth is and moving you away from the gold, silver, and precious stones, moving you away from your riches 
in Christ, in whom are hid all, by the way, verse 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and Move you away from that. How are we going to do it? We're going to make up a vain, deceit, religion, a philosophy. He calls it the commandments of men, the traditions of the fathers. Now, that's going to get over into the next one. Because what does he say? After the traditions of men, there's the ear gate. This is the stuff that's passed down. This is where Paul talks about fables. This is the area of the storytelling. And then he says, after the rudiments of the world, there's the eye gate. Rudiments, the elementary, the basic working components of the world. Do you know what the rudiments do? You begin to value the outward and the material world over the inward and the spiritual issues. You begin to argue. You, 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 you begin to have your thinking process shaped a certain way. So these three, wood, hay, and stubble, Paul elaborates on in Colossians 2.8 and says, hey, you guys... You're following philosophy. You're in vain deceit here. Vain, empty, deceit, deception. You're following, you're valuing fables over God's word. You're valuing the outward over the inward. Now, come over to Titus chapter 1. And we got a few minutes. Let me just run some verses here so you just see this. So here's gold, silver, precious stone. Here's God's wisdom and his understanding and his knowledge, the word rightly divided, the studying of it. Study to show thyself a workman. See? How? Rightly dividing. You're a workman to be a student of God's word, rightly divided, and to build in, understand the wisdom, the knowledge, and the understanding that he's abound to it. That highest level of revelation has been given. And the adversary says, oh, yeah, you think that's something? You know, men wrote that book. God didn't write that book. Man wrote that book. And by the way, it's really written over, you know, just the last couple hundred years. Don't you know that that Greek word really was in Hebrew? And, and then they just start all of this. What are they doing? Pulling you away from the final authority. Yea, hath God said. That's the tactic. Well, if you're not grounded in that word rightly divided, you're going to be carried away, and you're going to be carried away by a, a thought process, philosophy, a fable. The Traditions of Men. Titus 1. Titus is an interesting book. You ought to spend some time just reading it. Verse 14. Look, not giving heed to Jewish fables and the commandments of men that turn from the truth. Plain speech there, isn't it? What's turning you from the truth? Jewish fables and commandments of men. Isn't that interesting? Hey, hey, there's no black and white. There's, there's no gray area here. You know what turns you from the truth? The Jewish fables. Now, that's Bible. That's not sound doctrine. Did Noah and the ark, is that true? Did that happen? Yeah. Did Cain kill Abel? Yeah. Did Daniel kill? Did Daniel and the lion's den happen? Yeah. But you see, why are they using, why those stories that God tells in the Old Testament, that's how you educate children. 
You don't educate adults with stories. You educate adults with doctrine. That's why Paul's epistles, it's all doctrine. You tell the stories over here to entertain the children. Immaturity. You got to think about this. He says, hey, here's some fables going on here. By the way, Jewish fables. So now we got the stories of the old... By the way, nothing wrong with them, understanding them and knowing them. I mean, Wednesday night, we're in the minor... Well, we're we're getting into the minor prophets. See, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not what you're to build onto your inner man as the way to walk and to live. Well, what would Jesus do? He wouldn't talk to you. Matthew 10's clear. Oh, now what do I do? See, well, okay, what WWPD, what would Paul do? <laughs> okay, let's go do that. See, come over to 1 Tim, uh, Timothy 1. See, you know, pe- people get mad at me. Well, you know, Rick, you can't say it. I'm not the one saying it. God's Word just said that. God's Word said, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. I didn't say, God's word says that. You can get mad at God. Don't get mad at me. Well, you can be mad at me because I'm, I'm easier to be mad at than God. I understand that. See, when Paul comes in and says, we don't do that, that means we don't do that. That's his, the rebel. anyway, 1 Timothy, what did I tell you? 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. See, the issue is teaching what? Doctrine. They're teaching bad doctrine, giving heed, neither giving heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. The fables... They're replacing God's Word with stories. They're replacing the edification process with fables, secondhand information, stories, Jewish fables. And that impacts the edification process negatively. Listen, folks, no one can be built up based on stories. That's what the nursery gets. The only way to be built up is to be a student of God's Word rightly divided and to stand on the sound doctrine. Teach no other doctrine. Come over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 4. Verse 3. 2 Timothy 4. Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Isn't that interesting? The last days of the church, the body of Christ, we're in them. It's all apostasy. You want to know why the church is what it is? You want to know why a church like us is little? (laughs) Why more people don't see it? It's apostasy. And it's the teachers that enable it. Keep reading. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. There are teachers who are accommodating this. 
The teachers are helping. They're happy to step in and move and tell stories rather than doctrine. You know what doctrine does? It holds you accountable. Stories just make you feel good. What's the accountability level? See, The traditions of men is just a bunch of stories, and what's it doing? It's negatively impacting the what? The godly edification. Now go back to Colossians 2. So philosophy, that's the the deceit. Then the traditions of men, there's the fables, the Jewish fables and the fables and endless genealogies and and we did this and now we're going down here. And then you have the rudiments of the world. And again, that has to do with the basic elements. So in chapter 2, just real quick, verse 16, notice it here. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. By the way, all of that stuff in verse 16 is a what? It's not the real deal. It's a shadow. Isn't that that odd how Paul would say that? You get so hung up on doing Israel's program and it isn't even real. Okay. Why? But the body is of Christ. Verse 20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world. All right, well, what would the rudiments of the world be? Verse 16. The judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holy day or a new moon or the Sabbath days. Why, as though living in the world, ye are subject to ordinances? What are the ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to, the per- all to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men. You know what Paul's saying? Don't go back there to Israel, to the law. It's done. It's gone. Why, what are you doing back here messing around in Israel's program? It's done. It's dead. It's over. Actually, if you turn back there to Galatians 4, I mean... Folks, this is the whole issue here. What are we building? If I'm building Israel's program, you know what I'm building? I am building wood, hay, and stubble. That's what Paul's telling you. He, you are building things that are, are simply being, the teachers are teaching and using to satisfy your ear gate, your eye gate, and your heart gate. They're not teaching you the truth. Now, that's shocking because that's what's going to go get toasted when the fire hits it and evaluates it. Look at Galatians 4. Oh, we got to quit, but we're going to finish this. 4.9. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? What's that? Ye observe days and months and times and years. Do you see what Paul just called the law given to Israel and Israel's program? Weak and beggarly. But what are you? You are rich. You've got the treasures, the riches of all understanding and knowledge and wisdom. And you're over here dabbling in the weak and beggarly. It bankrupts you. By the way, Colossians 2.8 ends, and not after Christ. There's our gold, silver, precious stones, by the way, in that verse. So when you come back to 1 Corinthians 3, because it is time to quit, and 
verse 12, these building material in the context, gold, silver, precious stones, here's God's wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. He's made it all known. He's revealed it all, the ultimate. Let's build that in. And in the wood, hay, and stubble, that's human wisdom, human religion, human viewpoint, human effort of the ear gate, the eye gate, and the heart gate. So then in verse 13, the fire is going to show up and evaluate that. One's going to be left, verse 14, and one's going to be burnt off, verse 15. And you're going to sit there and go, oh, great, wonderful. No, man, it's a wow, right on. Thank you. Because knowingly or unknowingly, what do you usually build? That human effort stuff. By the way, that's why Paul gives you list. Here's what the flesh, the works of the flesh look like. Galatians 5, bam. Here's what sinners look like. Romans 1, bam, bam. You know, here's what you should look like as a believer. Ephesians 5, bam. 1 Thessalonians 4, bam. And you know where we dabble? Romans 1, Galatians 5. We never read Ephesians 1 or 1 Thessalonians 4. Why? Because, well, I want to make sure. No, man, get into where you go. Anyway, verse 13 next time, okay? We'll talk about the day, the fire, and so forth. Gold, silver, precious stone, superior material. It's the sound doctrine. It's the word of God given to and revealed to the, to the apostle Paul. The wood, hay, and stubble is inferior it has to do with the eye gate, the ear gate, the heart gate, world's, man's wisdom, the wisdom of this world, the spirit of the world, the course of the world. Stay out of the one, build in the other. Again, sometimes you can't, sometimes you have. The Lord's the judge, and he'll take care of that, and we'll talk about all that next time, okay? Okay, dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the patience of the folks to look into this and to consider it and to think about it and to just rejoice in this glorious day that's coming our way in the future where you stand and you evaluate and you remove all the inferior issues in our lives. And we thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen.